as an introduction to his exhortation to us this morning. Brother David has asked that we should read from Exodus at chapter 32 and will be led now in that reading by Brother Andy Ingram. Reading with you all, brethren and sisters, Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hands, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast unto Yahweh. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up early to pray, to play. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods. O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And Yahweh said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is stiff-necked, a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought Yahweh his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief had did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply thy, your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give it unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And Yahweh repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, 
graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither it is the, of the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it in the water, upon the water, and made the children of Israel to drink it of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not thine anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for as for this Moses, the man that thou brought that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from, the, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to Yahweh, even every man upon his son and, ev and, upon every, and upon his brother, and that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto Yahweh. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto Yahweh and said, O oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, Lead the people into the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And Yahweh plagued the people 
because they made a calf, the calf which Aaron made. We'll now be very pleased to continue with our studies where Brother David will now speak to us concerning Moses, the intercessor. Thank you, Brother Chairman, and good morning, my dearly loved brethren and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a sad day for an ecclesia, isn't it, when we lose a wonderful brother or sister in the faith. I didn't know Brother Colin particularly well, but when I reflect on him, there's a standout characteristic, and that is the way he just always seemed to greet life with a smile. He just always seemed to be happy, a very bubbly and friendly personality to everybody he met. And that's how it should be, isn't it, in the faith. We are, of all people, so blessed. And so our sincere prayer this morning, isn't it, for our brother Colin, that he will be greeted with the smile of our Lord Jesus Christ and that the mercy and grace of our God and our Lord Jesus will shine upon him in the day of our Lord's return and that he will be remembered for good. And so my sympathies are with all of you and particularly his family. We come to this chapter, which is a confronting chapter, isn't it? It's a sad chapter in the history of the children of Israel. But it's also got within it some remarkable points of exhortation. So let's have a look at it in verse 1. We read there that when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. What a tragic situation. And we learn that Aaron then made a golden calf of their molten jewellery, after which they tragically declared, verse 4, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And then the very next day, verse 7, they worshipped and sacrificed unto this golden calf. And verse 6, they sat down to eat and to drink, rising up to play before it. The word play there means to laugh or to make sport. The Lord's verdict, verse 7, they have corrupted themselves. They have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. And verse 9, they are a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will make of thee a great nation. So, brethren and sisters, how does Moses react when faced with this extraordinary behaviour? Does he seek to disown his people? Does he seek to distance himself from them? disassociate himself from them? Is there a sense of excitement at the prospect of his God making of him a great and new nation 
of which he would be the founding father. How does he react? Well, I think already in our studies together, we've come to appreciate some of the standout characteristics of Moses, haven't we? He was a man with a big and beautiful heart. Like our Lord Jesus, who we come to remember this morning, he was moved with compassion for his people. We've also seen that he was the defender of his people. He stood up for his people. He fought for them. We've also seen a man who had a propensity, a natural desire to reconcile people, to mediate and to arbitrate. And we've also seen a man who was incredibly meek. And all those characteristics come to the fore. No sense of excitement for self. So meek. A heart that was moved for his people despite their behaviour. He defends them. He wishes to arbitrate and have them reconciled again. What a beautiful man and what a wonderful example of our Lord Jesus Christ who we come to remember this morning. Look at his response. Verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. What an extraordinary response, brethren and sisters. No endeavour to disassociate from his people. Completely meek, no sense of excitement at the prospect of what could be for him. Deep empathy for his people. You know that word besought there literally means to be sick. He was worried sick. It means to be wounded or in pain. He felt for his people. He would never have wanted to see such an outcome and he pleads with his God. Let me read to you what the psalmist says of this incident. Psalm 106 verse 23. It says there that God said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. So you think about this, brethren and sisters, in terms of the great life and death of our Lord Jesus, who we come to remember this morning. Their iniquities had separated them between themselves and their God. And who steps into the breach? Moses. Again, a wonderful type of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
their iniquities had separated them from their God and their sins had hid his face that he would not hear. That's in Isaiah 59. The very chapter before talks about those who are repairers of the breach. Repairers of the breach. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the ultimate repairer of the breach. The chosen one, the intercessor, the mediator. And here is Moses, who the psalmist says was the chosen of God who stepped into the breach. So, brethren and sisters, who are we in our ecclesia? Do we tear or repair? Do we tend to the nets to mend them? Or do we sometimes rend them? Are we repairers of the breach? What's our mindset? What's our attitude in the ecclesia? What was the response from God to these efforts of Moses? This gap that had emerged that he sought to repair. How does God respond? Verse 14. The Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Yeah, just think about this, brethren and sisters. Let's make this real, as extraordinary as it is. Would you, brother or sister, beseech the Lord on behalf of people who behaved like this? What would your attitude to them be? Would we seek, as it were, to divorce ourselves from them? To completely withdraw from them? To expel them completely away from us for such despicable behaviour, which it was, and we'll look at that in a moment. What did the chosen of God do? A remarkable man. Well, he stood for the people and beseech the Father on their behalf. And our God responded an extraordinary act of love from such a meek and beautiful man. And let's ask ourselves that, brethren and sisters, this morning. How often do we, from the heart, deeply and sincerely intercede with our God and our Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of another brother or sister. I think we all do our very best to pray, don't we? The power of prayer is very precious to all of us. Let me read to you, though, from Timothy when he talks about prayer. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore... That first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now, brethren and sisters, if you're like me, we're quite accustomed to the giving of thanks. In fact, we're very good at supplications, asking God 
for things. And we're quite good of being thankful, thanksgiving. What about intercessions? We're encouraged to do it. How often do we really do it? How often do we really intercede on a brother or sister? And note, it can often be on behalf of a brother or sister who themselves is not pleading for the grace of God at that time. The children of Israel were playing and making sport in front of a golden calf and Moses intercedes for them. It's a very powerful thing, brethren and sisters. There are countless examples in the Bible of a remarkable thing where our God or our Lord Jesus Christ chooses to do amazing things in the lives of other people out of love for the one who prays or intercedes for them. They may not be praying so, but God says, or our Lord Jesus is moved with compassion towards the one who prays and does a remarkable thing in the life of this person. Can you think of the miracles? Faith or the prayer of one here is the basis by which the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ is ministered to this person. We are but the instruments. It's the grace, the love of God and our Lord Jesus Christ which does it. But we are encouraged to plead for others, to intercede for them. How often do we really do it, brethren and sisters? And how often do you really believe that our God and our Lord Jesus, our Father in heaven, will respond in love and grace to another? If we really believed it, brethren and sisters, I reckon we would powerfully, passionately and regularly pray for and intercede for others, just as we do thanksgiving, supplication and praise. We read, though, that Moses descends from the mount and there's no other word for it. There's a party raging down below. It's an extraordinary sight. A riotous sound of singing and dancing Verse 25, the sight that the people of God were naked for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. You know, this word, brethren and sisters, naked really simply means to let go, to let loose or to be free of any restraint or inhibition. We can just imagine this horrific sight that Joshua and Moses came to see. Again, how does he react? How, do, how does Moses react to this when he sees this drunken debauchery from the ecclesia of God? How does he react? What does he say? Because I think it's fascinating what he says. 
Verse 26, Moses stood in the gate of the camp, which is instructive in the context of our Lord Jesus, we come to remember. He stands in the gate of the camp and he asks the perfect question. Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? The behaviour was an outcome, a symptom, a byproduct of who was not on the Lord's side. They had let loose, free of inhibition and restraint. Why? Because they have moved from the Lord's side. Are we on the Lord's side, brethren and sisters? Do we want to stick fast by the side of the Lord Jesus and our God, our Father in heaven? Or do we want to dabble on the edges? Do we want to push the envelope? Do we want to extend the border of wickedness? Do we want to be right on the edge? It's a question for our young people here with us today as well. There's a great little story. It's a terrific story. You might have heard it before. It's to do with a, a wealthy businessman and he wants to employ a new chauffeur. So he takes all the applicants, the candidates for this role. He takes them up to a high cliff and he challenges their driving prowess and he says, right, how close to the edge of this cliff can you drive? Show me your skill. So one by one, they seek to outdo each other in the car. They're driving along the edge, each getting closer and closer. The last fellow's got half a wheel hanging over the edge until one fellow steps forward and says, Sir, if I had the privilege to drive you, I would stay as far away from the edge of that cliff as I possibly could. And he got the job. What do we do, brethren and sisters, sometimes? Are we trying to skirt the edges, the perimeter? Or do we stick by the Lord's side as best we possibly can? We know the answer to that in our hearts, don't we? And look, just a little aside on this issue of letting loose. Losing inhibition and restraint. You know, it's a really nice thing to have some fun, right? It's a good thing to enjoy life, to be happy and have fun. And you know, every now and again, it's great to let our hair down and relax a little, have a great laugh. But it's never good, is it, to go so far as to lose restraint, to lose inhibition, for, or to partake of any substances to the extent that we do lose that inhibition, which many in the world do deliberately. And sometimes, brethren and sisters, the consequences can be deeply regrettable behaviour.
deeply regrettable. So I think it's a good little message, point of exhortation for all of us, for our young people as well. We can enjoy our youth. And even when we're a little older, we have a lot of fun as a community, and that's a great thing. But never to the point where our judgment is impaired, common sense is impaired, and we do things that in our right and sober mind we never would. And also just a little note for us as parents. We live in a community, don't we? We live in an ecclesia. Let's not make it hard for each other with our young people. Let's always try as a group with our youth group to be sure not to create environments in our homes where the young people are encouraged to let loose, to be a little loose. It's not helpful, is it? It's not helpful. It doesn't edify. It's not constructive. It makes it very hard for us as parents. Let's try as best we can to work together and to encourage our young people to stick by the Lord's side and not to drift. Let's have a look then at verse 30. Because the anger, the intensity of the anger of of Moses has subsided a little and we come to verse 30. It came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned, a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now... If thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Yeah, what a beautiful attitude, brethren and sisters, Moses had. He wanted oneness. He wanted the atonement to be something practised and seen and lived, that people would be together, that the people would be joined to God. When he saw a gap emerged, he tried to bring people back together. Is that us, brethren and sisters? Is that our mindset? You know, Isaiah, there's a little sort of slightly obtuse verse in Isaiah, and it talks about those who look for iniquity. They look for it. Their mindset is to seek and to search for iniquity in others that it might be exposed. Right? Not, not, not shouted from the root. Oh, we wouldn't do that. But a little bit of salacious gossip that you can just slide into a conversation. It's not helpful. It's not nice. It's not Christ-like, is it? And it's certainly not the mindset of Moses Moses wanted to bring people together, to reconcile. He was a peacemaker, a mediator, a beautiful man. One rendering of the word atonement is to cover. He didn't try to expose. What about us? And what about this expression where it says that Moses, he says, 
I'm going to go unto God, that peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. I shall make an atonement for your sin. It's quite a, 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 almost a challenging phrase, isn't it? Now we know that the only ones who can forgive sin in that sense is God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we said to ourselves, we should make atonement for sin, it's almost confronting to us. But that's what Moses says. He says, peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. What he's saying is, peradventure, I plead to our God that he might forgive you. It's this point again of intercession, that I may be the vehicle by which our God extends his grace to you. You have sinned. I will plead that our God will be gracious to you. You don't deserve it, just as we don't deserve the grace, the kindness, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness of God. But Moses, faithful Moses, loving Moses, goes to God in prayer for his people. But also look at what Moses says, because I think there's a wonderful pattern for us personally and in ecclesial life too here, that it would be great, particularly personally, but even sometimes ecclesially in our communities, we followed this little pattern. Did you see it in the verses? Let's have a look at it. He says, Moses very clearly says, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. You know, brethren and sisters, in ecclesial life, many of the issues that we have to deal with as imperfect judges, and we do have to exercise judgment in the ecclesia of God, it's not easy, is it? It is, as it were, a whole lot easier when our brother or sister in deep humility says, I have sinned against God. That's the point here. Moses doesn't try and make out that nothing actually happened here, nothing to see here. He says, you have sinned. But then what does he immediately do? Yet now, if you would forgive. And I think it's a beautiful pattern for us personally. When we sin, let's see sin for what it is. I have sinned. An open acknowledgement in a very sort of conciliatory way. Not trying to find some obtuse argument, reason, rationale, verse that justifies. No, I've sinned. And I pray that my God would forgive. And in ecclesial life too, it's important, isn't it? particularly for our young, that we say. It's a sin. We don't condone. Moses didn't condone the behaviour. It's not right. It's not the ideal that we seek to uphold. But now, 
Look at that. Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Outrageous behaviour. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. Hopefully that's our attitude individually and collectively. But also look at the inside again, this amazing man that we get to his meekness. We've talked about the fact that as the shepherd, the defender of his people, he was willing to lay down his life for his brethren and sisters. Our Lord Jesus told us there is no greater love than a man would be willing to lay down his life for his friends. Moses was willing. Lord, if, if you won't do it, then blot me out, I pray thee, from thy book of life, from your book. Would we, brethren and sisters, think of the behaviour of these people? Extraordinary behaviour. Would we want to be associated with them? Would we fear that somehow we would be guilty even if we, if we had anything to do with these people? The chosen of God says they have sinned. Yet now if thou wilt, please forgive. And if not, blot me out of the book. What love, what grace from this big-hearted man. And brethren and sisters, it's here that we have one of the first specific references in the Bible to the book of life. The book of life. Are we in the book of life? Well, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Our brother Colin is in the book of life. We are in the book of life. Who is in the book of life? Let's just have a look at just... There's not many references to the book of life. Let's, in conclusion, just look at a few. Malachi 3, verse 16. They that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. So who's in the book of life? Those who have a deep reverence and respect for God. Those who love his children and those who meditate on his name. Is that you, brother or sister? It is, isn't it? It is. We respect and revere God. We love our brethren and sisters, his children. And we're here today meditating upon his name. Let's believe we're in that book. Let's see ourselves in that book. Let's see ourselves in the promised land, in the kingdom, by the grace of God. Daniel says, Daniel 12, and this is very relevant to our time. At that time shall Michael stand up, and he's about to do just that. 
the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book of life. How blessed are we, brethren and sisters. You're in the book. We are in the book. There is coming a time of trouble, a deeply perplexing, horrific time. But we, brethren and sisters, will be delivered from that. How thankful are we? Pray, God, that we will pray today to to our God to thank him for that remarkable privilege to be in the book. There's one final little reference about the book of life that tells us nothing that we do will get us in the book. We can't earn our way into the book. We can't get a great report card because of what we've done that gets us in the book. What is the basis by which we receive the grace of God? What's the basis? We know that answer. It's not works. It's that beautiful thing called faith, which means to believe. Just believe. You don't need huge amounts of it. I don't need more than my chairman. It's not a competition. We just got to have it. Do you believe, brother and sister, that you are in the book of life? Because we have to believe it. We have to believe our Father loves us and it will be his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Let me read you those verses. Revelation 3 verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my Father. And who are the overcomers? Who Who's the overcomer? What does it mean to overcome? Does it mean to win? Well, actually, we've got a definition of that, and it's in 1 John 5, verse 4 to 5. Listen to these words. Are you an overcomer, brother or sister? Yes. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believes, or has faith, that Jesus is the Son of God? So, brethren and sisters, why are we here? We are here to remember the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God. We believe in him, don't we? We have faith in that. Our brother Colin had faith in it. The Jeffress family are burning with that faith to see their father, their husband again. And we as an ecclesia believe we too will. We, we will too. Because we have faith. And it is our faith that overcomes the world. Sometimes it flickers a little faintly, but brethren and sisters, 
Let's hold on to our faith because it's by that that our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, will be gracious unto us.